2: I'm Scott Wapner and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the run to new highs and what could be the next big catalyst for stocks. We're debating your money's next move with our investment committee today. And joining me for the hour are Josh Brown John Najarian. Kerry Firestone is the CEO of Arias Asset Management. Degas writes back the chief investment officer of Decatur Capital Management. And Kate Moore is BlackRock's head of thematic strategy for the global allocation investment team. Let's go to the wall as we always do to start our program. Check where the markets are. Boy, S&P got within a whisker of a new closing high a little bit earlier today, literally within one point. So we're continuing to watch our record move there for the S&P. A little bit more work for the intraday high, but nonetheless, it's that record close we're keeping our eye on now. NASDAQ's going for its second positive day in a row as tech has been a bit wobbly lately. Josh, so we got within a point. Uh, Same narrative here. Apple new high, Nvidia new high. What now? We figure we're going to hit a new high for the S&P. The question is, then what?
3: Yeah, those stocks are really all you need to get it done, like a nominal new high in the S&P. I thought this was interesting. It's been 122 days since the last time the S&P 500 had an all-time record closing high. And if you think about the median number of days for the S&P 500 between making those closing new all-time highs, it's usually about 90 from, from one year to the next. So I guess I would say this is a pretty average year, all things considered, if you forget about that little episode that took place in March and April. Um, so I would not be surprised to see uh, an all-time record close for the S&P very soon. And uh, what you need to get there, it's, it's all working. One other thing I would throw into the mix, and this is insane, um, put-to-call ratios have just completely collapsed. And it's, it's, a, it's a historic collapse. And I think it's indicative of sentiment out there. Uh, people are just no longer afraid of a resurgence in the virus or a spate of negative headlines that are going to send us lower. And the evidence of that is, if you look at a 50-day moving average of the put-to-call ratio, you really have to go back 15 years to find a period of time during which it was this low. You have to go back, Scott, to 2004. So I'm not saying that means excess bullishness. What I am saying, that does mean an excess in complacency. Mm. And you see these case-by-case you know, case case reports from each state. We had a spike in New Jersey at the end of June. California's ticking up again. Um, we had a, a death rate tick up. Uh, investors truly are looking right past it. They are no longer buying protection out there. Um, I'm, I'm sure the Najarians would say this is the time that you should buy protection if no one else wants it. But
2: I'll leave that topic to them. That's what's happening right now. Yeah. Carrie, um, you know, how about that? Are, are, Are people too complacent? I mean, we have no deal in Washington. We don't seem anywhere close to to an agreement on more stimulus. And the market yawns day after day after day. Doesn't seem to care about anything.
4: Well, the market seems to assume that we will get another stimulus. That's that's definitely in in the price right now. And we can't hit a new high unless We get that stimulus and also, as we've talked about before, the market needs to broaden. So it's interesting if you look at a little chart, Vin pulled together for me, of how the parts of the market has reacted and we can see that since the beginning of the quarter and the beginning of August, meaning a week and a half ago, over 50% of the names in the S&P are ahead of the S&P index and that compares to 36% of names beating the index from the beginning of the year. So we've had a very definite shift and broadening of this market away from just the COVID helped stocks like Amazon and Netflix to many more cyclicals and names that will be recovery stocks. So again, people are betting on those companies that will be able to come back and grow, whether it's airlines or banks Mm -hmm. or other types of financials that are going to help carry that market and and of course as you said the market is assuming that we get that stimulus interest rates stay low and we don't have to shut down totally
2: so it's a good point and it it clearly has to be one of the, the catalysts that you need for stocks, Degas, to take that next leg, right? Let's assume we get to this record close on the S&P. We're so close, one would think that we would get there. And the question is, now now what, right? Where do we go from there? So Kerry cites this broadening rally. You're going to have to have that if you think you can take even another leg higher. The problem is, when you look for the next catalyst, I've got my list here, earnings are all but over. Lots of good news clearly is already baked into the market economy is far from back and the path forward remains very uncertain so what's going to take you there
5: yeah scott what we're seeing is that uh in march 13th we actually saw that the high valuation stocks actually took the the lowest uh point and what we've seen since march 13th until now is just a recovery so what we're saying is that the surge in the market we're going to see a slowdown we're going to see it go back to what we typically look at in a market environment whereas we have valuation may still be a positive contributor but we don't see it as the surge that we've had in the last two to three months and so we're seeing a calming of the market we're going to be in a range because we're also seeing that the profitability high profitability stocks are once again uh, taking the lead in the market and we're going to see some more positive relative to uh, high profitability stocks, relative to low probability stocks. And we're seeing that going forward. So that's what we're seeing in the marketplace. So we don't expect the surge to continue.
2: Yeah, Kate Moore, maybe even more reason why you need a sustainable move perhaps in those value or cyclical names?
0: Yeah, perhaps. I wanna go back to something that Josh said though, which I think is important. Some of the fear has been removed from the market. You know, I think a lot of this has to do with coming out of second quarter earnings season. You know, the confidence has been restored uh, in companies' ability to sort of navigate this very difficult and uncertain environment. You didn't have to get a lot of guidance in order to really pick up on a positive tone from companies. And you're seeing this really get reflected in in analyst earnings revisions across the board. I mean, U.S. earnings revision ratios, the upgrades relative to downgrades, are some of the strongest we've ever seen. The last time, of course, was after the 2018 tax cut. So some of that fear has been removed, but I think with good fundamental reason. Uh, You're asking, though, about catalysts for the market. And you're right, we're past the earnings story. Uh, We're all kind of baking in expectations around fiscal stimulus. But the big question mark, and what we're spending a lot of time on my team and in BlackRock broadly on, is, is thinking about election implications. Because we know the second half of an election year can be quite volatile. I don't think the market is really sort of positioned for any wild swings or sort of change in leadership. And, uh, you know, thinking about industries and sectors that benefit the most in each of the different sort of Trump administration or Biden administration scenarios is where I think investors should be focusing time.
2: So, John, you know, you got Kate's view now and you had Josh at the top. So the, the bookend views of where we are. Josh mentions the put-call ratio, this complacency, if you will. You you tell me what you're seeing and what you think it all means.
1: Well, uh, Josh is right, Scott. We uh, have seen lowest vol last day I was on with you, Tuesday. We saw the lowest volatility uh, uh, that we've seen since February, I believe, 24th. Um, And we're just a tick above that right now. as far as some of that contributing factor beyond just earnings, Scott, that you mentioned, um, I think the jobless claims number, as horrible as the number is, still being close to a million people, it's nonetheless been improving steadily. This is the first time in 22 weeks that we broke a million um, as far as that jobless claims number and continuing claims came down as well. so. Uh, I I don't think that's really as thin a gruel as some people might say, Scott. I think that's actually very positive because we all know that uh, Mm -hmm. it was a very challenged June and much of July as far as that heating up, that uh, mortality that Josh spoke to and so forth in certain, whether it's FCAT or elsewhere in the United States. There was a definite pickup in uh, hospitalizations, ICUs, and all the rest. And that seems to have peaked in the bulk of those fcat states california's still struggling and they also were struggling with data so we'll see how that plays out but i think to see the jobless numbers moving in the right direction scott along with continuing claims moving in that same right direction those are positives that broadly the market just absent the tech stocks but broadly the market is likely to embrace over the next at least until we get to next Thursday, Scott.
2: Yeah. So we're a couple of points away here on the S&P. It's interesting, guys. You know, Kramer put forth what he thinks could be another catalyst for stocks. And that is the idea that some of the biggest names that are out there right now do splits, much the way that Apple and Tesla have announced. And I want to go uh, through that with with all of you and and some of what he says. Um, If you want the market to keep climbing, he has 10 companies and many more that need to start taking their cue from Tim Cook and Elon Musk. He says the price tag matters to a new crowd of younger investors. Um, in short, splits are good for the home gamers, he said. You want the the those new investors to start buying and holding the best of breed names rather than the penny stocks that have been getting a lot of play. They've been ignoring these, he says. The thing about retail investors is that they can make a lot. They can they can make for a more stable shareholder base than hedge funds because the pros have no loyalty. So he gives he gives 10 stocks. We'll go through those. But, Josh, what about the idea that Kramer puts forth that if you're looking for another catalyst, you could find one right under your nose? Just split your stock.
3: I hate this so much. I can't I almost can't put it into words, but I will for you. And I and everyone everyone knows how much I love Jim Kramer. And uh, actually, um, he's right. That, that is a catalyst that moves stocks. But if that's the thing that, that puts us into new highs, um, it's, it's going to end ugly. It always Make does. If you, uh, if you chart the history of stock splits market-wide, they almost always coincide with, if not major market tops, at least short-term market tops. It feels really great, but you're always in the ninth inning and that final run-up. And I, look, at the beginning of my career in the late 90s, knowing nothing at all about the markets – All I heard was, let's buy MindSpring. They're about to do a three-for-one stock split. There was no business. It was just a ticker symbol. And that mentality led to between 20 and 30 stock splits every calendar month during the year 1999. how about this? And stock splits actually became, that became the thing that people were investing for. Almost yeah. like, forget about... So Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett was asked in 1983, why don't you split your stock? Berkshire Hathaway at that time was the most expensive... A shares, most expensive stock in the market. And his answer was very simple. It was one of his dear, you know, dear investor letters. But he basically said, people that would buy a stock because it's splitting are buying the company for an uneconomic reason. And somebody that buys a stock for an uneconomic reason would be equally likely to sell for an uneconomic reason. And real operators, CEOs <clears throat> of real businesses do not want shareholders um, who are not there for the intrinsic value of the business. It might be a good short-term boost, but long-term, it leads to nothing good. So I don't like it. I don't want to see a lot more of it. And I never want to hear people say,
2: I'm buying this because it's splitting. It okay, might me, be a great me, short-term
3: trade, but that tells me we're coming to the end.
2: So I may have to do one of these. Let's get Kramer out here and we can debate this further. Because I, I, I think there's a, a different... Um, way of discussing the the benefits of this as simply as he puts it of just opening up your stock to a new class of 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 potential shareholders to Josh's point to Josh's point though in 2000 first of all you've only had two stock splits announced in 2020 Uh, and in 2000 you had 83 to to Josh's point I mean it's the most that we've seen um, by leaps and bounds uh, since then Kerry, is is this a good idea to have more companies split their stock? You open up your stock to what is we know a new class of buyers who are out there, the Robin Hood class, however you want to characterize them. They are more engaged They're in the fractional market. shares. They don't need to. They don't need so, it. It's not wait, helping so, anyone. So Josh, this can, is a can relic of round lot point. trading. Let's not talk over each yeah, other, not, but let's please. have um, a, let's have a spirited debate about this. Just not talk over each other because then it's moot. Go ahead Kerry.
4: the point i was going to make i think josh was was going to say it also is that young traders are also sophisticated they do know about new platforms in which to trade and even fidelity myelon fidelity schwab many other platforms allow you to buy fractional shares of stock so that is now a thing that people are doing and it again if the point is opening to new traders who don't have lots of assets and they're starting to dip their tone to the water they can do it with fractional trading index funds don't care about fractional trades and that's where an awful lot of the money goes into passive investing in terms of active managers who are loyal versus not loyal i think that we're very loyal investors uh, in terms of our companies and and i think that if we uh, worry about the price of a stock, the absolute dollar amount of a stock, that's not the right focus that we should have as investors. So I understand what Jim is saying about broadening the marketplace and the audience, but I think it is possible to do that with modern methodology about fractional trading, and it isn't going to take them to new highs. They're already at new highs. We've gotten here without splitting these stock prices.
5: Degas, what do you think about this idea? Yeah. Now, Carrie and Josh, what I would say also, let's talk about the liquidity that this would add and would this assist in price discovery with these stocks? What's your thoughts there, Carrie?
4: Oh, you know, I, I I'm not sure that I I agree with that. You know, we're um we're at a level of Pretty sophisticated trading methodology Um, I I think that the concept is good I just don't think that the intent which is you know is Jim saying opening up to a broader array of of potential buyers is going to be solved by the stock split uh, answer
2: but don't you think that that the is is Tesla worth is Tesla
3: worth 20% more as a business is Tesla worth 20% more today than it was on uh, Tuesday night before announcing a five-for-one split. Is the, is the business no. 20% more valuable on, on earth on, in real life? Does anyone think that? No,
2: I don't think anybody does. Okay. Yeah. John, is so that the game
3: we want to play now? Yeah, that's sure. what we think we have to do?
2: But, I mean, if you think, Josh, if you think that, do you think that these, these younger investors, I mean, I don't know what to call them, um, the, the Robinhood investors or the, the ones who are buying fractional shares, don't you think they'd rather have a, a, a whole share of Apple rather than a fractional share? But if the entry point for them is $100 rather than $400, that, that, that's a good thing?
3: No. I think if, you, if you're a young investor,
2: you come across a
3: stock that you like, and you say, I think this stock is 20% undervalued, so I'm going to buy it and try to make 20% on my money, it's just as easy to say, I have $10,000 to invest, or I have $1,000 to invest, let's say. Um, Buy me a thousand dollars worth of Amazon. It works fine. there's no problem. You know what splits are from it's a relic. It, this is this is like a, uh, mm-hmm. it, It's almost right. it's, a, it's almost anachronistic for us to be talking about splits as though they're needed. This is from the days when you had to buy a round lot share to get any respect at the brokerage mm-hmm. firm or on Wall Street because the That's round right. lot 100 shares was like how they calculated commissions. but that is there are no mm-hmm. commissions. What commission? So all of this is anachronistic. Um, There are are cases where a split is necessary. I'll give you two of them. 2014, Apple did a seven for one. It was a $700 stock. They were going to go into the Dow Jones. The Dow Jones is price weighted. You can't put Apple at $700 a share into the Dow. It completely throws the whole thing upside down. So a split is necessary. They do a seven for one, take it from 700 to 100, and then in early 2015, they get added to the index. Voila. Okay, fine. One other example, Berkshire, we spoke about before. He finally had to do a split in the B shares, but there was a reason to do it. As much as he abhors splitting Berkshire stock, and he's never done it again, they bought Burlington Northern, and in 2010, they had to facilitate that transaction, and Burlington had tons of small shareholders who were employees. So we had to create that liquidity um, in Berkshire shares to help facilitate and finance that deal. Those are two reasons, good reasons, why big companies have split their yeah. stock. If you're telling me we don't have enough liquidity in the Robinhood names, look at the volume. Tell me what's really missing. These stocks are going bananas every yeah. day. Liquidity is fine. This, to me, looks like it's about, oh, here's a really easy way to juice my share price. I do not want to see 50 more companies do this.
2: John Nigerian, haven't heard from you.
1: Scott, I think uh, that where Jim is right is uh, not because uh, mechanically uh, we need these stocks split, but because tomorrow, the day after that stock split, when people see it on a piece of paper, when they see it crawling across our screens at CNBC, they're going to say, wow, Apple, 110 bucks a share? That is why Jim is right. Um, whether it makes sense or not, Scott, I mean, we all know that human emotion drives a lot of investing. It probably shouldn't, but it does. Trading. And so when you see something, yep, trading and investing though, Josh, I'll say because again, at 440 a share, yeah, somebody can buy a fractional share, but they're not really thinking the same way. They're thinking about trading that when it's 440 and they're buying a fractional share. When it's hundred bucks a share, I think they're thinking more about holding it.
5: You don't yeah, agree? And that with, goes uh, Josh? back to what I... Oh, Degas, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, that Please. goes back to what I was saying about price discovery. We're going to increase the demand, and these stocks will then actually increase in value or increase in price because of that increase in demand. So that leads to price discovery in the market, and that can always be positive because it makes the market more efficient.
2: No, nobody looks at this list that Jim has and, and agrees with any of the names. I mean, is it, are we just, Josh, you're just talking blanket? thing unless you, have the two instances, unless you have the two instances of, of what you said um, with Apple and Berkshire that none of, none, nothing applies, Amazon at $3,100, did, did, Alphabet, Chipotle, Netflix, Nvidia, Adobe, Costco, Depot, Facebook, Microsoft?
3: I don't understand. What, it's a solution in search of a problem. All, all you're doing is naming high, high, <laughs> high dollar price stocks. It has, nothing, it has nothing to do with the fundamentals of the business. All, all it might do is temporarily induce people who think you're richer with uh, 10 $10 bills rather than one $100 bill um, to to buy a stock for an uneconomic reason unrelated to the business. Jim is right that it will increase trading activity in these stocks. Is that the, the problem that we're trying to solve in society right now? Does that do anything really for anyone? I'm not sure. I don't really understand what it will do also, though, in addition to increasing quote-unquote liquidity, and not all liquidity is good, but we'll talk about that another time, um, it, it trains the next generation of investors to make uneconomic decisions and to do things for the wrong reasons. Why do we want to foster that kind of environment by encouraging stock splits, which then suck people in to pay a higher price for a stock, either pre or post? Why, why shouldn't we be educating the next generation and saying, dude, splits don't matter? You either think the stock is undervalued or you don't. Um, so, so, so that's, and last thing, almost all of the great companies throughout history have not been companies that have focused on manipulating their share price with gimmicks. And if you look at things like Liberty Media and White Mountain Insurance and Berkshire and Markel Corporation, companies we don't talk about on this program, a lot of the reason we don't talk about them is because they have three and $4,000 share prices and they're not playing the game. of of juicing investors into getting interested short term. So I I think CEOs who have been successful running businesses have split when they felt it was warranted, often because they have a lot of employees and stock options and they need that liquidity, but to just split because we're gonna get a a bump on a Thursday, I'm not sure that that's the kind of activity that anyone should be excited about seeing 10 years into a, a bull market. Kate Moore.
4: Yeah. So
0: everyone's made the point uh, about retail participation. I'm not worried about retail participation in this market. We've had plenty of it. So let's put the stock stuff split aside for a second and say, go back to your earlier question, Scott, about catalysts for the next leg higher in the market. You know, I mentioned some of the risks when I was speaking before around election and perhaps, you know, policy disappointment. But I think the really important thing here is that we have, you know, companies that are achieving strong revenue growth that are showing solid levels of profitability in this tough environment. That's what needs to drive the market higher. We need more confirmation that these companies are all weather. These are the companies that everyone should be invested in. I know some of them have re-rated meaningfully, but if you look at the stocks that have re-rated this year and the outperformance of the industries, it is very closely tied to upgrades in terms of earnings expectations. There's a very tight relationship over the last six months in a way that we haven't seen before people are buying profitable companies and companies that have the ability to generate profits regardless of whether or not GDP is 4% or minus 4%. And, and, you know, that's the catalyst for the market hire is sustained performance of these structural winners. And so, uh, you know, stock splits aside, I'm not worried about retail participation.
2: So what if I pose this differently to all of you? Because now I'm wondering if I had, if the conversation would be different. Carrie, what if I said... You know, what if this had nothing to do with a catalyst for the next move higher? And we were playing off the news of Apple a couple of weeks ago and Tesla, you know, this week that they split their stocks. And I just simply said to you of the names that I listed here or Jim listed these 10 names, which other one should think about splitting their stock? It seems to me that the the, the thing that's sticking in everybody's craw here, especially Josh, is that it comes with a catalyst to move the market higher we're talking about whether it makes sense or not to split stocks. What if I simply presented it to you? Hey, here's the news peg. Apple, Apple, and Tesla just did it. Who's next? Would your would your answers be different? Are you are you thinking about it in the context too much of some kind of catalyst to move stocks higher? Thus, in your own minds, thinking about maybe manipulating the stock prices or the market itself higher. Josh,
3: I think that's a fair point. Well, um, I- so I, I. Oh, Carrie, you you go first.
4: I think that what Jim was saying, and I accept that as a reasonable premise, that it's a more democratic process for people to own the stock, forget about moving it or even the trading of it, if the stock price is within what people think of as reasonable. And I I have no idea what Jim uses as the reasonable level, if it's 100 or below below a hundred. Um, and as I said, if the reasonable criterion can be addressed by fractional shares, then I, I think that we address it. If you're asking me if I think any of these other names on the list should split their stock, I guess I've already made the point. I, I don't think stock splits are are something that I I think about much 20 but, years ago, did you, I did because it was much more common, but I don't anymore. So you I don't think about the valuation.
2: You disagree with Apple's do move dis- or Tesla's move?
4: It, it, it felt a little bit like a marketing play. You know, I, I yeah, I, I guess I do disagree. I was surprised when Apple did it. I wasn't surprised with anything that Tesla does, but I was surprised with Apple.
2: So, Josh,
6: Apple
3: is now going to go from the most influential stock in the Dow to only about the 18th. And I think if you're Tim Cook, you probably like I'm going to say optically or politically, you don't want to be the stock that everyone looks at to be like the only thing that matters in the stock market. And you don't want to be waving this flag like every other stock march behind me as the market races to all time highs with 20 million people collecting unemployment. So, like, I understand this this argument that apple would make probably internally like guys let's take some of the attention off the fact that we're doing better than ever in covid summer like so maybe there's some wisdom in that and i think apple probably doesn't want to be the most important stock in the dow and they've become that so uh i don't i don't hate what they did and i'm not always against stock splits i guess the main point i wanted to make is if we're now saying we're all out of reasons for the, the market to make a new high let's Let's do some stock splits to juice the last, you know, the last uh, uh, lambs to the slaughter. That's the part I don't like. I don't think Jim was saying that, by the way.
2: That's just the thing that I'm saying. No, but what if you look at a stock like, like Amazon? What if Bezos looks at it and says at $3,100, it's like, look, we, we're the company for, of everything for everybody, right? The, everybody buys stuff on our site, but yet not everybody can own our stock. Because at $3,100, yes, they can. the ticket price is pretty yes, high. Yes, they can. Uh, look, I guess yes, you can,
3: can have fractional my, shares. My, okay, the, so the, my, my son can buy Amazon. Like it's, it, it's, it's, it's a, again.
2: What this if what if he thinks it makes it it will make it more accessible? What if he thinks at three thousand two hundred dollars? I know the, the ticket price is high. So if I split my stock, I can make my stock more accessible to some of the people who are buying my products every day.
3: It's it's plenty accessible now. Again, he may well decide to do that. By the way, I wouldn't rule out um, it. Look, you might you might see a wave of people look at Apple and look at Tesla and say, all right, let's let's do it ourselves. It costs about an average of eight hundred thousand dollars worth of paperwork to do a stock split. Okay, that's that's uh, (laughs) data from the journal. So there's like there's like transfer security stuff you got to do and probably some legal stuff. And you got to plan it and you have to put out the announcement and there's a regulatory filing. So let's say the cost is a million dollars to do a stock split. No big deal. That's not a barrier to any of the companies that Jim named. So I wouldn't be surprised to see more. I just hope that the true intention is we wanna create more liquidity um, because if it's about giving people access, that's a false premise. Everyone has access. There is absolute, uh, Kate Moore made the point, retail participation hasn't been the problem. True. For the first time in, I don't know, 20 years, uh, retail is excited about the stock market. Mm-hmm. That, again, we're talking about a solution in right. search of an issue. That really doesn't exist right now. Last point, John
2: is hearing. Go ahead.
1: Well, first of all, not everybody offers fractional shares. Yes, you can find a broker that does. Just about. But we all know people are loath to move. I know E-Trade doesn't do it, Josh. Um, I know several other of the big houses do not do fractional shares. But the real cheering here, Scott, um, isn't among shareholders, isn't among Robin Hoodsters. It's for NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange, it's all the volume numbers because this is volume for these guys. I mean, if you take Apple from this number that Mm -hmm. it does today, however many million shares, and you cut that four for one, you cut Tesla five for one, you think that that additional, that's manna from heaven for the New York Stock Exchange, so buy ICE, and for the NASDAQ uh ndaq you want to own those because the more they split these stocks the more volume not dollar volume scott Same, that stays the same but the more volume that Mm -hmm. speeds through these uh guys that take the toll the better it is for them
2: yeah um all right we'll leave that conversation there uh we'll pick it up again hopefully with jim at some point he gave us something to to chew on for certain and um I was interested to hear everybody's take on that. Let's talk about some of the moves you guys are making right now. Because, Carrie, you are uh, trimming a stock uh, that maybe a lot of people own that watch our show. Twilio, why would you trim it?
4: Yeah. Oh, well, it has been such a phenomenal stock since we bought it. Twilio was up over 120 percent in the second quarter alone and it kept growing as a weight in our portfolio. We have 32 or 33 names and, you know, it just got a little bigger than we uh, felt comfortable. So we've, uh, we've cut it twice now. It's still a pretty big position. And, and actually, if you look at what's happened with the supercharged uh, growthy names that have been fantastic through COVID, uh, they've all had that little pause as we've talked about earlier. So I I think it was the right move to make. We still like this stock a lot. I mean, if it came down 10% or so more, maybe we'd we'd buy and add to the position. So we still think it's great, but it just was a size and and weight issue for our portfolio.
2: Okay. Degas, you bought Best Buy and you sold Intel. And you're not the first person to sell Intel on this program in the last month following
5: earnings. Right. So, yeah. So what we saw in Intel is that it was just uh, a very weak outlook for Intel. Uh, the position of the stock wasn't what we wanted to be in. And we have other chip stocks that are doing quite well. Uh, We talked about, uh, you mentioned Best Buy. We did buy Best Buy because we saw a lot of upside uh, from a valuation point of view as it relates to uh, Best Buy. It's a really good company. If you think about the business model, it is a company that is a retail over a thousand stores. I believe everyone is about 15 to 20 minutes away from your your local uh, Best Buy store. And it's doing something that you cannot get from other online. It actually does the installation of TVs. It has the uh, Geek Squad that works with you uh, to put together your your whole entertainment package. And I think in this environment, Best Buy is in a very good position. Uh, Profitability is very strong. It's actually in the top decile. And then lastly, we look at social media to see what the society thinks about a particular company. And Best Buy is getting some really good looks as it relates to the social media out there with all they're doing with their tech academy. They actually have programs that go from 12 years of age up to 21. And that in the communities that they service is a great way of earning what we like to say the social license uh, to operate. And and they're doing that. And that's what we're seeing in the uh, the media out there.
2: Yeah. Um, All right. Good point. Uh, Kate Moore. Thank you very much. We'll we'll talk to you again soon. It's uh, It's been good having you. My Twitter's blowing up on the stock splits. My email's blowing up on the stock splits. We're going to continue that conversation, I promise you, some other time. We have bullish calls coming up, though, on gaming stocks. Should you bet on these for your portfolio? We're going to debate those straight ahead. We've got best ideas as well coming from our gang. We're back in just two minutes. We're back. Let's head over to John Ford, who has the headlines for us. Hey, John.
5: Hey, Scott. Yeah, here's a CNBC news update at this hour. The Justice Department says it has seized millions of dollars from cryptocurrency accounts used by militant groups, including members of al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. Officials describe it as the largest ever seizure of digital currency related to terrorism. Also, the FBI is joining the investigation into what caused the massive explosion in Beirut's port. Lebanese officials invited the FBI to take part. The blast killed more than 170 people. And reaction is coming into Israel's deal with the United Arab Emirates. A Hamas spokesman says the UAE has stabbed Palestinians in the back by establishing relations with Israel. And Egypt's president says he welcomes the deal to halt Israeli annexation of Palestinian lands. That's CNBC News update for this hour. Scott, back to you. All right,
2: appreciate that, John Ford. Thank you. Big bets in the casino space. Penn National Gaming initiated by Ed Goldman and Caesars Entertainment reinstated to overweight at J.P. Morgan. John, you own
1: Penn. I do, Scott. I'm happy about it, uh, although I took off about half the position today. Um, just two days ago, we had unusual activity in this one again. But those options expire Friday. Scott, I would love to put on a longer-term position in this one because I think the stock could double from here if you look out a year into the future. Uh, The Big 12, with their decision to play, means there's going to be focus again, Scott, on uh, at, at least football in that conference. And people have been locked up waiting for sports. Obviously, baseball and hockey are out there as well as soccer overseas primarily. But I think you're going to see a lot of folks gravitating towards pen gaming. And obviously, Barstool does a lot of driving of that activity. No doubt.
2: No doubt. Stock's up uh, more than 9% right now, Doc. That is the the highs of the day. We have uh, new street high targets on two big retail names as well. Rahel Solomon tracking those for us. Hey, Rahel.
6: Hi, Scott. So remember, Digas just mentioned before the break that he was a buyer of Best Buy. company actually getting a new street high price target of 127 from Piper Sandler. So analysts note that with the NFL season likely a go and fans unable to attend, they'll see strong home theater sales. They also think with more virtual schooling this fall, sales of consumer electronics will benefit strong product cycles this year, namely the new iPhones and gaming consoles should also give Best Buy a lift. And then Stevens is raising its price target for Walmart to a new street high of $160 from $140. So they like those reports about a possible Walmart Plus to perhaps compete with Amazon and also drive customer loyalty. Stevens also pointing out that Walmart was well positioned starting the year. They've obviously benefited from increased traffic due to COVID, but they also say that it's just accelerated Walmart's e-commerce business. They call it a winner with or without COVID. So, Scott, remember just yesterday, Jenny Harrington, she mentioned a similar idea when she was talking about Home Depot. She said that they're starting to categorize stocks by how they're going to look after the pandemic. Are they forever worse, forever better or forever unaffected? She was making that point about Home Depot, but Stevens essentially making the same point about Walmart.
2: Yeah, applies to Walmart, too. Rahel, thank you. Josh Brown, what do you think about the Walmart call? Price target 160. Can it get there?
3: Uh, This has been this has been a great stock, really dating back uh, to before the pandemic when they got serious about e-commerce. And I think a lot of the things about the environment that we're in uh, are just accelerating adoption. So I think they'll have that tailwind for a while, Scott. I really don't think much changes pre or post vaccine in terms of uh, consumer habits. Once they adopt doing groceries, for example, online, it's going to be hard to convince them that that's not optimal anymore. So I think you'll see people return to the stores, but then a lot of people keep doing what they've been doing. Walmart wins both ways. So
2: I I, I like the name. All right. Coming up, John has unusual activity in the options market today. He'll give you his latest trades next. We also want to show you the S&P sector heat map as the S&P tries to hit a new closing high today. It's about a point and a half away from that. We'll keep our eyes on that for you as well, we got a gain of about four points there. You can always watch or listen to us live on the go as well on the CNBC app. The Halftime Report is back right after this.
0: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
7: B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started.
2: Welcome back. I mentioned to you John has unusual activity today in a couple of names. There's the first one. John, tell us about it as Virgin Galactic is up nearly 6% now.
1: Yeah, on the launching pad, as you would say, I guess, Scott, or at least as I would say, um, SPCE calls big-time buyers of the August 1950 calls with the stock at about 1870, Scott. I bought those. They expire a week from tomorrow, so keep that in mind. I'll probably hold these about five days. Second trade, another uh, one that I don't talk about enough, probably because I got out of it too soon, Scott. I got out of this one, I think, at 170. Now it's pushing towards 200. It's PayPal. PayPal, the September 210 calls aggressively bought during the day today. I bought those. This is more like a month-long trade that I'll be in PayPal, Scott.
2: I got you. I also want you to to tell me about Lyft, Doc, after earnings, right? You have calls there. Um, I know, you know, after Uber, maybe you had a a little bit of a more negative view about what was going to happen here, but tell us about your move.
1: Sure, sure. Well, we had unusual activity into... uh, uh, This exp or this earnings cycle for Lyft stock popped nicely, Scott, and I took off half the calls. And then uh, the Uber news came out about their earnings, which impacted Lyft. And I thought maybe this stock still can get up and go. But then this week, both with the combination of Prop 22 and with uh, Uber saying, "Hey, we might just suspend operations in California," whether that's just chatter or not, that has impacted both stocks. And so the rest of my options finished worthless in Lyft, Scott. So uh, they, they expire tomorrow, but they're worthless right
2: now. Yeah, rough, uh, rough week down about 9% our shares of Lyft. All right, coming yeah. up, keep your questions coming. We're going to answer them straight ahead to reach us. And you still have time, go to cnbc.com slash halftime. You can tweet us as well. We're back in just two minutes to do that. All right, let's do it. Let's answer your questions. Josh, you're up first. D'Angelo in Maine with Simon Properties and Amazon and talks about fulfillment centers. Is Simon a buy? Um, I looked at
3: this expecting to hate it, but actually I don't. It's not bad as far as a reopening trade goes. So I actually, if I were to buy it, I'd buy it for a trade and I would buy it for that reason rather than picking an individual retailer. Um, The Amazon Catalyst, I'm not sure that that's really going to have a big impact on Simon anytime soon. And I prefer Prologis. In that space, which I own, PLD. Yep.
2: Okay, uh, John Njegorian, to you from uh, Storm in Amsterdam, is Vodafone a, a buy? V O D.
1: Storm, I bought it a week ago. I think we had unusual option activity. It's moved up a little, maybe fifty cents, sixty cents. The stock has. They're going to be spinning off the tower unit in in Europe, so I think that's another bullish sign for you, Storm. I'd hold on to it.
2: Okay, Carrie, to you from Dan in Pennsylvania, looking at oil improving. Does it make sense to go back into a refiner like Phillips 66?
4: So, Jan, we own Phillips 66. It's the only energy stock we own, and it has not been a good stock. We do like it. Refineries are a very, very scarce commodity. Of course, they're incredibly expensive to build. No one is doing that. And one thing Phillips is doing, which is great, is they're starting to use recycled material and to create fuel from it. So I think that's a real positive.
2: Okay, lastly, Digas, back to you. Uh, we're very international today. Gisela from Germany.
5: Is Synopsys a good stock to buy? What do you think? You, you, you are long that name. Yes, we own the name. And so a $30 billion company, software's used in engineering to engineer integrated circuits. We like the profitability is in the upper half uh, for return on assets. We also like the price at these levels. We think it's fairly priced at an operating cash flow level. And ultimately, we like the expectations on this for momentum, positive uh, forecasted uh, revenues. This is a stock that you want to buy at this level. And we are holders. And once again, we like the fact that what it's doing in the social media, we're getting a lot of good reads from social media on this stock.
2: All right, good stuff. We're going to take a quick break. I should note for you that the S&P is now again within one point. Let's put up the S&P if we could, guys. S&P is within one point of a new closing high. 33.86.15 is the level we have to get above. 33.85.24 is where we currently sit. We're going to take a quick break there. we Been moving a little sideways today. We're trying to get a little bit of something going here. Gold prices are down 5% in a week as well. We're going to get the futures trade there when we come back on the half. Keep your eye on the S&P. We will. We'll see where we are on the other side of this break.
1: Missed the show? Don't sweat it. The Halftime Report now has a podcast, market-moving interviews, call of the day, unusual activity, and, of course, Ask Halftime. Look for us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app and subscribe to the Halftime Pod today.
2: We are back. And we said, as I did before the break, we continue to watch the S&P 500 trying to get above a closing high and stay there. Thirty three eighty six point one five hit on February 19th is the level to beat. We got within one point a couple of times. Still can't get over that hump, though. So we'll see what happens. For the remainder of the day. It is time now, though, for the futures outlook. Take a look at gold today. It's turning positive, still down around 6 percent this week. That's after a big surge it's had this year. So let's find out how to play the rebound in the futures market. Let's bring in Bill Baruch of Blue Line Futures. Bill, good to see you again. So where do you think we're going here? You know, I was wondering whether whether gold had topped out, you know, last week, later in the week, for a variety of reasons, whether the dollar had topped in its move uh, or or bottomed in its move as well. And that was going to be the relationship there. The dollar may start rising. Gold would start falling. Where do you think we go from here? Well, we did hit a range extension last week, started to come in. I think there's higher to go. But in the meantime, we've seen jobs tick up a bit. We've seen a little bit of inflation rise, uh, vaccine hopes out there. Yet inflation can weigh on gold in the near term, depending on the environment. All that has weighed on gold. But I expect volatility to continue. The the long term fundamentals are still here. The Fed's not hiking rates until 2022. They are emphasizing more stimulus needed. So depending how this bottoms, I I really think 2300 up to 2800 is in the cards. And this is only in the middle innings. Wow. That's a very big move uh, to see. All right. Thank you, Bill. We'll talk to you soon. We'll take a quick break. We'll do final trades next.
5: It is time now for Final Trades. Degas, you're up first. Yeah, so we purchased a Thermo Fisher this week. And the reason why is that we looked at the profitability, top off for return on assets. We looked at the expectations, beating surprises, earnings, revenue. Also, Ford forecasts are doing well. Valuation is fairly priced. We really like the stock. And social media is really likes the stock also. So this is one of our buys. All right, good stuff.
2: Good having you again on the show. Carrie. Thank you.
4: First Republic, it's our favorite slash only bank stock. It's got the benefit of the San Francisco home bait, COVID resistance, and also great strength in the housing market, mortgages, and refinancing.
1: Okay. John Nigerian. Builder First Supply, Scott, BLDR. A lot of call activity. I bought it during the show.
2: Quickly, Josh Brown, to you. I added some Uber this week. Oh, interesting. Okay, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for watching as well. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.